You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing what to do to protect your patients, your team, and your community from COVID-19. Our guest is Dr. Sonny Spera, a practicing dentist with over 30 years of experience. He owns and maintains five fee-for-service practices, Progressive Dental, in the southern tier of New York and northeastern Pennsylvania. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, Voco. Voco is a leader in dental materials, and you might already be familiar with their omnichromatic direct restorative material called Admira Fusion Extra. This is a product that's quite unique. You only need a single shade for the entire classic shade system. So we thank Voco for sponsoring this, and we thank Dr. Sparrow for coming on. Dr. Sparrow, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk today. Phil, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so we're just going to have a conversation about this incredibly horrible crisis we're in, and I know people are probably suffering from COVID-19 fatigue at this point, but there is so much stuff on the internet about it. Enlighten us a little bit about treatments uh, such as what they're recommending, the cocktails they're recommending, or even homeopathic drugs that are being discussed. What's real and what's make-believe? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I think the the important thing is where do we get our information from? I think that's so important is having the correct sources. So most of the information I have is going to come from either from directly from Dr. Fauci or from some other reliable sources. So right now, uh, the Internet is a buzz and Facebook and all the different social media sites with, oh, try this remedy and drink hot tea and lay on your back and hold it in your throat and go in the sauna and all these things. And quite honestly, right now, there is no proven safe and effect direct therapy. There are many clinical trials, but drugs and, and, and drugs that have been approved for other things have not scientifically been proven, only anecdotal evidence. In other words, uh, Dr. Smith, who practices in uh, Westchester, New York, has used this drug on these patients, or someone creates a Dr. Smith. Those are only stories. Nothing has been proven. Hydroxychloroquine is a malaria drug that has some side effects, and they are trying to get some clinical trials right now with that. But right now, the real medicine there isn't. It's not there. Nothing right. has been proven as safe and effective direct therapy. You know, what we're hoping for is that with all the smart people out there right now really scrambling to come up with a cocktail, possibly they can come up with something that's empirically proven to prevent it from going to the lungs. So if you do get it, at least you, you don't need a ventilator. So that's that's what we're hoping. But um, yeah, it's a rough situation out there. What are the risks we should worry about? So people are saying not to touch anything at the grocery store or packages from Amazon, et cetera. So real quickly, because we got a bunch of questions to ask you and a lot of good stuff to cover. What do you, what's the story about um, how it spreads regarding surfaces, et cetera? Well, I think the most common and the most important transmission or the most important, that's not even a right way to say it, but probably the most common transmission is sneezing or coughing. When someone is ill, they need to get out of circulation because what happens is they create droplets and droplets can then either create aerosols which can become secondary and that has become a big health risk but primarily the droplets will settle on hard surfaces and they can live and survive for many many hours so handshaking doorknobs or other smooth metallic surfaces where it can live for several hours on these surfaces, those things you should be avoiding. 
packages, delivery packages, those kind of things, they are not really a high risk. And the virus has been proven to not live very long on those services. So the fear of uh, your Amazon delivery or your grocery store deliveries, those aren't valid. But hard surfaces, doorknobs, door handles, those kind of things, yes, those the virus can live for a long period of time on those surfaces. People in our audience want to get information about the guidelines, the current guidelines and resources. There's lots to choose from. Are you recommending the CDC, uh, the American Dental Association, your local state dental society or, or state board? What, what is your recommendation on that? That's a great question. I think there's so much out there and I think there's a there really is a, a gathering or a collection of that information. I think always uh, the CDC is a kind of an unbiased start. Uh, the American Dental Association has done as well as they can given all the things that they have to um, address and the st like local state dental societies are, are kind of next on the totem pole. That information has to be valid and it, it, you can't use social media and you can't use a friend of mine is a doctor in Italy and this is what they're doing or this came from China or this came from some doctor in South Korea. You have to go to legitimate, legitimate sites and I think the CDC is a primary place. So when you're talking about the dental team, let's uh, move that direction for just a minute. Let's talk about protecting the dental team, um, not only uh, obviously from COVID-19, but also financially, their, their situation with the make sure, making sure that they are financially sound through this um, crisis. And we, of course, don't know how long it's going to last. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you go back to the history of when this all started, right? Started March 16th, New York State, in our, in our area, I'll talk predominantly New York State, Pennsylvania, New York, at about one o'clock had sent out a notice via email to a lot of uh, the people that were on different chairmen's and I'm on the chairman of the education committee so for my district so I got that email and then by five o'clock the ADA had, had mandated uh, or excuse me sent out their recommendations so at that point things changed immediately so for for us and, and for our steps what would we do so for what we did was we met with our staff our key people we met the night before, how to handle patients and dentistry as we knew it with all the risks that were coming up, what questions to ask, pre-screen, spacing, social distancing, all those things. Then, then that dramatically changed the next night within 24 hours. So what we did with all our staff is we went and we went and shifted from, you know, whatever code red to code blue, from code blue to code red to go into kind of hyper mode. So what we felt was important was, A, let's make sure all our staff is taken care of. So at that point, we felt it's not safe. Anybody's in the office. So we had to shut down all our deliveries, UPS, shut down all mail, make sure no one was in the office unless they were there by themselves. And so if we were going to practice what we preached, we had to make sure we were consistent. And that message was protect everybody protect our staff protect the community so in our case what we recommended was apply for unemployment right now we'll figure the rest out later let's get you guys protected now what we did as an office and said for some of the people because it's scary there's a lot of people who worked their whole life and now you're telling them go on unemployment and what we said was on a personal level was if you find that unemployment doesn't fill your financial gaps or you still have some needs please see us personally and we'll make sure that some money is available for you on a one-on-one -on -one level. 
So we had to check with labor lawyers and make sure that, you know, what we were doing was accurate and correct and following things correctly because there was a lot of information. Again, good information, bad information about, oh, now this is going to be paid time off or go into their vacation or force them, you know, and, and we didn't want to give anything bad. So we had to make sure our team of people, because we have over 60 employees underneath our, our umbrella. So we had to make sure that we were giving the right information and we were accurate across the board. So we were constantly in contact with our labor attorney and, and making sure that we were doing things as they should be, because we wanted our employees to get the best benefit that they could and, and the best protection that they could while all the time being safe. So that took a lot of communication and a lot of coordination. So you had, you know, you have a large operation over there, obviously with 60 people uh, in your business. What about the solo practitioner, small practice, two or three employees, maybe four? Um, they don't have a legal advisor specifically for this type of unprecedented situation. What do you recommend they doing and what do you think they are doing on a large scale across the country? Well, I think there was a lot of confusion. I think a lot of people were like, hey, we'll bite the bullet, especially again, go back. Let's 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 take a time step back to, you know, March 16th, which was two weeks ago. Right. What was the situation? Well, the situation we were being told was it was like a three week deal. Right. So most people, some smaller offices, I think, were thinking, well, we can manage that. We can we can carry our staff. But it's looking quite different now. And there's a lot of different things that the challenges that have come about because of that. So my advice to all the people and a lot of friends that I have that are in that scenario that have four or six employees, one office, what have you, was to make sure, you know, your staff is taken care of, put them on unemployment and, and let that take care of what it should take care of. So if you have an emergency situation regarding your office, Dr. Sparrow, what do you do as far as the emergency case? Well, we talk about emergency care in the office. So what would we do right now is we're trying to make sure that all our patients know we're available and we're accessible. So we have, there's five doctors. Now, one of our doctors is my son. He's high risk. He's got a cystic fibrosis, a mild case, but he's in the very high risk category. He's not seeing any patients. So he's not in the loop with this. But what he is doing is he's manning the teledentistry site, and we could talk about that later. So our docs are all accessible via cell phone. You can put FaceTime. Uh, you can text, you know, with patients, whatever the mean of communication is that we can be reached essentially 24-7. Now, we have all our software is cloud-based, so everybody has access to a person's entire file. So any patients that contact us, we are able to pull that up, get their history, look at their x-rays, find out what's been done. Have a, Most of the time you have a decent idea of what might be going on already just because you have a full history in front of you. The hard part is those patients who are not patients of your office. Like I got a call the other day from a patient's calling about his wife and she's not a patient of ours. So our first recommendation is if you can get in touch with your dentist who they have all your records, that's your best bet for, you know, expedited care. If that doesn't happen or that can't help you, then we we let them know that we have the teledentistry available. And that's a second way for us to at least communicate and make sure that we're available and we're out there for them. So if you determine that a patient is in an emergency state, whether it's an irreversible pulpitis or, or just whatever it is, it's extremely painful. Um, do you, do you treat them in the office uh, with a proper PPE? Could you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, so far we have not gone in for any emergencies. And if we're talking emergencies, let's let's talk what the definition of emergency is. And you know, right now the American Dental Association has been fairly clear, and New York State guidelines are absolutely mimicking them. So a dental emergency really says right there in the first sentence are potentially life-threatening and require immediate treatment to stop ongoing bleeding, alleviate severe pain or infection, and include uncontrolled bleeding, cellulitis, diffuse soft tissue bacterial infections, trauma involving facial bones, potentially compromising an airway. So, you know, bottom line, life-threatening. We haven't come across those. Now we get into the urgent care and, and how that falls in place and what do you do? Severe dental pain, pulpal inflammation, pericornitis on third molar pain, those kind of things. So most of those we've been managing via remote with antibiotics and pain meds as necessary. Um, we do not want to get in a situation where we have to use a handpiece and create any aerosols. So that's something that we have stayed away from. Now, Pennsylvania, where we have an office, those guidelines just changed shortly um, a few days ago where they had shut everybody down, mandated, and you couldn't treat unless you had a low-pressure air chamber room uh, in addition to the other things. Now, we are fortunate we do have the proper PPE. We do have disposable gowns. We do have shields, and we do have N95 masks because we happen to have our own dental lab, and in our offices, our lab has always supplied us with N95 masks for any time we're working with our air abrasion units or the lab in the offices, the small little micro labs, which deals with, you know, micro etching and crowns and et cetera, stuff like that, dealing with the aluminum oxide particles. So we have the PPE. So if we have to, we will go in. Now, the se second part of that, if we will, we will not ask our staff to come in. We'll see that patient solo. We don't think it's going to be worth the risk for anybody other than the doctors to do that. Are you using an N95 when you go to the grocery store, just out of curiosity? No, I have not. I'm just curious because I do see people walking around with masks. It looks like to me, for the most part, the general public are walking around with, you know, level one, level two, maybe level three uh, masks. But I don't, I don't see too many N95s out there. Of course, they're all going to the healthcare providers. I was just curious if you had a couple that you would use for your local shopping. It may come down to that, but we'll, we'll see what happens. You're in New York, so uh, you live in New York, right, Dr. Sparrow? Yeah, we're we're in New York, but we're upstate New York, so we're we're in the state that, of course, has the most cases. However, downstate or New York City is the epicenter right now. Right. No, absolutely. All right. So you talked about PPE, and uh, it seems like you certainly have some protocol. I think going forward, because of this crisis, I think dental practices are probably going to have to have some protocol for this documented on how to respond to this kind of unbelievable situation that we're in in this country. Um, you know, they'll have something to look at and prepare for where they won't have to be trying to figure out what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis as much as we are today. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this virus differs from the flu. Great question. COVID-19 is a respiratory-borne illness that spreads very easily from person to person, has a very high morbidity and mortality rate. Ebola, for example, when that was out, was very frightening, but it was really only transmittable from a very close contact with a person that's very ill. Some ways influenza is similar and some ways different. The mortality rate is the big difference. Influenza is really a 0.1% mortality. 
COVID-19 is 10 times worse. It's 1%. This can be devastating, especially for a subset of the population, including the elderly, those with heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, or underlying health issues. The mortality rate that this virus imposes on a human being is, is you're saying is approximately 10 times what the normal flu uh, does when it, when it invades somebody's system. And again, we don't have all the people tested. So if potentially we had this test that was, will hopefully soon be available by Abbott and others to um, be more pervasive around the community where we can get this point of contact testing or point of care testing, I should say, we'll find out that maybe the mortality rate is not as high as we think because more people actually have it and they don't know they have it. So that that's possible, right? Very possible and probably likely. Okay. All right. Just, just wanted to clarify that. Um, now teledentistry, this is something that's been around a while, but you know, it's just like, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we're a continuing education company, Viva Learning, and we're seeing literally uh, three to six times the amount of traffic we normally get. We had a webinar by Dr. Molinari that had 3,000 people on the webinar at one time. It's unbelievable, 3,000. And before the crisis, we were averaging maybe five or 600. So the trend to use internet-based tools and teledentistry is one of them. I'm wondering if this is going to accelerate the trend and maybe more dentists are going to be screening some of these visits uh, like you're doing now. Hey, this person could use some antibiotics. This person could, you know, maybe you can tell them to take uh, some sort of irrigant or irrigation device and get behind a PCOR or something and explain to them on the phone or show them through Zoom or something like that, how to do uh, what they need to do to take care of this thing. So do you think teledentistry is going to be more prevalent in dentistry after this crisis? And tell us how you're using it now. That's a great question. I, I, I think it is going to be more prevalent because I think a lot of people now see that given the, the, the situation, obviously unprecedented, but it does require us thinking a little bit more creatively about solutions. And I think teledentistry is something that medicine has been using for quite some time. And we never have uh, incorporated it. I think our biggest fear is always like, well, you can't really see anything. I don't have an x-ray. But in all honesty, I think just the face-to-face interaction, number one, is you can start to ascertain some information from that person, some history, uh, medical history, things that are relevant. And obviously with a visual that's of some decent quality, you should be able to see something that as a professional, you can give them some advice, although it's going to have some limitations. We all know that, but let's talk about what it can do. I think it can identify, boom, pericoronitis. You nailed it. You said that right off the bat. I think that's an easy one. Uh, Again, now that is helpful if the patient is someone you know and have some x-rays and some history with, but it might be someone you've never seen before. So now you have a 22-year-old person who's contacting you and they're talking about they have some swelling in the lower jaw and you get them to open and you can see that massive gingival inflammation around that area and you can start to give them very specific instructions on how to rinse, how to get a Paradex or another antibiotic mouth rinse in there and what to do with it. You know, that would be a very nice example of how it would work very well. So how do you logistically set up a teledentistry uh, encounter with a patient? So, you know, now we're in a situation where your office is closed, Dr. Spera. I have an emergency, what I think is an emergency. So I call your office mm-hmm. and um, 
and and tell you that you know I have let's let's use PCOR as an example, and I'm extremely uncomfortable in my lower right molar area. I can't even bite. Um, mm -hmm. It's very tender. What do you do? So I've called you now. How do you move to the teledentistry environment? Well, let's take that example. For for us, you're not a patient of ours. We have no history. Okay. We're going to recommend go to our website where it's easily accessible to the telemedicine site, teledentistry site on our website. So once you go there, there's an interaction that starts and then you can be seen video console. Our thoughts were, let's have hours for this. Let's go, you know, nine to four every day. But honestly, we are 24-7 on that site, too, because of the situation. So if someone calls us, like one of the docs, and we see that, and we recommend they go to our website, we then will contact my son, the dentist, and say, Marcus, look for this person to be contacting us, just to make sure that those things connect. Because anytime you have that technology there's always a glitch and there's always a potential hiccup. So we just we want to make sure we don't lose that con contact or that continuity for the patient. So we will reach out to him and say, hey, Marcus, you're going to probably hear from, you know, Mrs. Jones. She's having an issue. She, we've directed her there. And in fact, we just had this happen an hour and a half ago with someone that had contacted us. And, we, and she was having some issues getting it going. And it turns out everything worked out beautifully and it went very well. But it's not in empirically simple. It does take a little bit of work. And for some folks who are uh, a little bit challenged with certain things, I think it's a little more a little more uh, daunting because it's something new and different. But I think once we get over that hump and continue to keep the contact up with the person, I think it's helpful. And if you just try to tell someone, it's like FaceTime, and then that's the best way to do it. I think the, the one advantage it would supply, it would be, let's take a person, just take a person Outside of this current scenario, a person's completely phobic of going to a dentist, okay? And their image of the dentist is, a, 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 you know, a seven-foot, eight-inch man standing over them with a jackhammer in their hand hmm. and blood dripping off of their face, right? So their imagery is just vivid. Now, they now can see the person who's the dentist. So that first breaks those barriers down. It's a normal person. That dentist then can share with them to that person, you're no different than the people we see every day. So now you have an assimilation and you have an affiliation that you can start to create some bonding with. And I think once you do that, you can, I'm hoping that you can create some bonds and some relationship building things that will help that person overcome that barrier that's keeping them out of the dental office for the needed care that they have. And some of the statistics that I heard from Teresa Duncan, who's a big speaker on this topic, was that they have found that 70 to 80 percent of those patients who've had a teledentistry visit keep their appointments and it's got to be because you've established some relationship already yeah for sure that's a great point <clears throat> so this has been a great podcast we're going to wrap it up with one last question dr spara um remote access so you know you, we're using remote access to work from home obviously you can't treat a patient from home but you can certainly access the computer management systems how do we make sure that we protect our system from being vulnerable by accessing it remotely? Well, I think you've got to, you, you've got to have your IT people and, and yourself as one. So for us, we're cloud-based system, so it's, it's been set up for us already. It's inherent in the system. Not everybody has cloud-based software. So if we went to uh, you know, our practice 18 months ago, we were a Dentrix office. 
we didn't have as easy an access. Although we had the VPN network, it wasn't as simple. So I think if that's your scenario or that's your situation, make sure you have the ability to access that database from a remote location. Uh, take worst case scenario, what if something happens and there's damage and you can't get into something and it's not a pandemic, but it's something just specific to your site. You do want to be able to access this. So, so it's kind of thinking, you know, like emergency preparation and in, in, in the event that something happens. So you have to have that ability to access that. And then the second part of that is because now in our office, we survived two floods in one of our offices and that was challenging. So we have been through somewhat some emergency situations. So we've had a history here of how we dealt or how we handled it. And I think that has helped us handle this situation a little bit better. So now when we back up our, our computer, we back it up on site, and we back it up off site. We take home, we have different things that we take home. It's all, all those things you wanna ensure your data. Now for us, with it being cloud-based, now it's a matter of making sure that you have encryption on both ends, emails go out encrypted, and, and you're, you know, you're respecting the HIPAA laws and everything that goes along with that. And I think that's a little bit of a challenge, although I know a lot of platforms and a lot of systems have improved to meet the needs of what has happened with the HIPAA changes and all that to protect the patient's privacy. Yeah, it's uh, definitely this is all a lesson for all of us to uh, be prepared. And as dentists, you know, you don't expect these things to come around too often where they, you know, you get an order from the ADA and the government to shut your office down. This is the first time this has probably ever happened in the history of dentistry. But um, anyway, we're all going to make it through. Uh, we're all going to do well. You've certainly enlightened us, Dr. Sparrow. And thanks so much for taking the time to uh, meet with us. And I really hope our audience enjoyed your um, insight into all these topics. And hopefully we'll have you on an upcoming podcast soon. Thank you very much, Dr. Sparrow. Phil, thanks very much. I can't emphasize it enough. We're all in this together. And if nothing else, reach out to your friend, your neighbor, make sure they know you're there for them, whether it's a dental professional or even just your neighbors and in, in, in where you live. But I think we have to come together as a community of dentists and a community of where we live. Thank you.